Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, episode 93. And so it's like, what are those lions that you're chasing after? And what are those things that seem risky and seem uncomfortable and unknown? And, and what are the things you're going to chase after that really will set you up for success later in life? This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I'm Eric McMahon, and today our guest is Andrea Hayden, the Assistant Strength and Conditioning Coach for the Minnesota Twins in Major League Baseball. Andrea, welcome. Hi, Eric. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so excited to have you on. I know we've been talking for a while, and uh, Andrea is someone that I've known uh, the last few years working in professional baseball. Um, Andrea, I'd like to give you the chance to just talk about your path into the field of strength and conditioning. How'd you get into this? And uh, tell us what you love about it. Sure, absolutely. Uh, I try to keep it a little bit short because obviously these can get a little long-winded of the path we've been on. But I've always marked my path as being one of untradition um, and hasn't been a linear by any means, but um, a lot of up and down and, and twists and turns along the way. But, um, you know, I started as a younger age playing sports growing up, really enjoying uh, competition and athleticism and uh, played everything that I could. I could. I was a tomboy through and through and um, that kind of kept my grades good in high school because I wanted to be eligible, obviously, but I wasn't a, a great student and, and, you know, studies came really hard for me. Um, so after that, when I graduated, I was, really wasn't interested um, in college. Like I, I had a hard time wanting to, to pursue that, watching my friends around me excited for their universities and, and those things. So uh, I kind of turned to personal training and I saw that as a great avenue for, um, you know, kind of getting into the, the real world right away. And so I started as a personal trainer um, you know, I got my certifications and, and kind of worked my way up in, in a local gym um, from St. Louis. Uh, and so kind of a gym around there, worked my way to like a managing role. So I did that for, you know, three, four or five years. Uh, and then kind of along the way, got a little burnt out with, with training the soccer moms and just kind of really realizing how much I love working with athletes and, and missing that competition and, and preparation and some of those things. So I, I, you know, I was 23, 24 years old and realizing, you know, I really did need that degree. And so I actually went, found somebody that I, that I knew and trusted and uh, got some great encouragement and support to go to school. So, you know, at 24 years old, I'm sitting with a bunch of 18 year olds trying to relearn uh, how to write papers in APA format and, and all that, the tough stuff that came with it. Uh, I was fortunate, though, along the way to, to meet some really great people. And um, I went to Missouri Baptist University uh, in St. Louis, where I actually got a considered an athletic scholarship to work with their women's track and field and softball players. Um, so looking back hindsight, I'm really glad he never hurt anybody. <laughs> he didn't think do any damaging, but uh, just got a chance to work with those athletes and, and their weight rooms and it kind of helped support what they were doing. Um, so along the way of, of doing doing that, I finished my undergrad in three years. I kind of rushed through it, um, but got a chance to, to really network my professors. I think being older in age, though I felt like I had a chip on my shoulder and felt like I was behind and, and trying to catch up all the time. I, I do think being a little bit older and having a perspective, uh, I saw my professors as, as my network and support systems and could really try to get as much out of them as possible. Uh, and so that turned into allowing me to do a, an internship. I did it out in Exos my senior year of my, my undergrad uh, out in San Diego, um, which was a really great experience to kind of work my first time, probably a taste of working with professional athletes. Um, and so working with them a lot, obviously heavier on, on football, but there were some baseball guys there and, um, and some, you know, professional was a, a Turkey women's volleyball player. there, just a different variety of, of athletes there. Uh, so finishing my undergrad and um, that internship, I actually applied at Lindenwood University for their, their graduate assistant position and fortunately got that. Uh, so I was there for, for two years. But after my first year of a GA, I did take an internship at University of Louisville under Tina Murray. Uh, and she was great and opened up a lot of great doors and, and pushed me through them 
uh, and I ended up working with USA Hockey, their development camps. That opened a door to go to China and, and work with their national women's team over there for a little while and then came back to finish my, my second year GA. Um, we had some shifts in our department, so I was fortunate to be pulled up to full-time. Uh, so finishing my master's while being full-time there um, and kind of taking that and enjoying it. I mean, I was my hometown, so it was in my backyard, Linwood was, and, and I just really enjoyed being there. So I was really content. Uh, probably when you know in life, when you start getting content, you know something's about to get shaken up a little bit. So uh, I was about a year and a half into my full-time role um, as strength coach at Lindenwood when I got a phone call from somebody that I networked with and, and knew and interned with back in 2015. Uh, he connected me with who is Ian Kadish, the director of Minnesota Twins. Uh, and we threw a phone call, you know, he presented an opportunity that you, know, you just couldn't pass up. Uh, at the time, it was packaged as a fellowship, which was, you know, a little bit cut to the ego because I was full time. And in your mind, you think you finally have been grinding and you've made your internship debuts and you've done everything you can. And now you feel like you're going backwards a little bit. Uh, but I took the leap and I, you know, I trusted him. I trusted people around me with their support. Uh, and then I, you know, five days later after talking to him, I was in my car headed to spring training. Uh, and so I did my first spring training in 2019. Uh, and then fortunate, I, you know, you work your off at spring training, you know how that is. And, and it's kind of drinking from a fire hose and again, experience. Um, and then that first season after that fellowship was over and I was able to be pulled up to full time as, as the assistant. Uh, so thankfully again, pull, pulled up as well. And I'm, I'm entering my third season. That's awesome. And, and, you know, one thing I hear that really benefited you well is, you know, you sort of navigated the early path in your career to, just figure out what your interests were and what direction you were headed. And then education really paid off for you. And it seemed like you had a ton of opportunities go your way. The minute you started pursuing that degree, uh, got certified, um, started getting internships and, and, you know, I think it's really encouraging to say that, you know, not everybody knows exactly who they're going to be or what they're going to do at 17, 18 years old. Um, I know I didn't. I know uh, many of our listeners didn't. And there's always going to be transitions and changes. Um, I don't know if you really consider it that at 23, 24. It's still kind of that early stage where you're figuring things out. But um, really great to hear that, you know, you you took some time to figure out, you know, the necessary steps to pursue the profession. And it really has benefited you well. Would you say that your time at Exos was planted that seed for working with professional athletes? You know, was that a little bit of a goal maybe in the background um, when you started pursuing strength and conditioning versus personal training? Or, um, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I never really thought about that until unfolding it and talking to you about it. I kind of really realized it. But I think that's that's the life of the journey that when you look back, you can see things that were planted, like you said, or you can see doors that were opened or closed. And then you kind of realize how it set up the, the stage for where you are now. So absolutely, I would say that be having that experience and being in that environment, and it was just very different than a college weight room, uh, not better or worse, but just a, a different feel. Um, also being in a private sector, that was great exposure to kind of seeing how, how that functions and runs. And um, we had an incredible uh, intern coordinator, uh, Roy Holmes is still there now. And, and, you know, he had high expectations. I would say that he was one of the first to really lay out like, what are the, the rules, standards, and protocols for a strength and conditioning coach? And what is that, that standard of excellence? And so just that package of that entire experience about being at Exos, I would say that really set up a lot for me. Um, because prior to that, I really relied on, you know, my personal training knowledge, the things that mm -hmm. I've learned through that, through those certifications, through the, that experience. Um, but actually being in a setting of, you know, more sports performance, sports enhancement kind of a thought process, that, that really was 
my first time being exposed to that. And then obviously seeing the caliber and level of a professional athlete that, you know, they're just built differently. Um, their mindset is just different. Their, their ability and physical attributes, like they're just different. Um, and so that was really appealing to try to see like, what, what else can you get out of them? What else is in there? Uh, you know, I even say like the guys that I work with, you know, they got there without me. And so what can I do to really help and enhance more? What, what else is in that, in that tank that we can actually drain out and, and find? Um, so that's really kind of a, a puzzle piece that excites me and makes me want to keep doing it. That's great. That's a great perspective. Um, one question I get a lot um, related to personal training backgrounds is, you know, young coaches looking to get into their field. Maybe they, they haven't got their degree yet, or they're just getting that early experience. Is it worth it getting a personal training certification sort of as a pathway into strength and conditioning? Um, just given your background, can you speak to that? Do you recommend that path? Um, and then maybe what are some of the shortcomings of that path or, um, from an education standpoint? Yeah, and that's my story. And so I, I think I always recommend or, or share my story and the people obviously can take it for what it is. But that is mine that I first got uh, the NSA CPT. That was where I started. Um, and that was a really good foundation. And like I said, I, I had this chip on my shoulder feeling I was behind. I, I was older than some of my directors. I was older than, you know, all the interns I was interning with at the GAs. And so feeling behind was really like a part of what I carried as a burden I wore every single day. So having a little bit of science background through that certification helped me quite a bit, I think, but um, it was always trying to chase and understand. I think with personal training too, is that you, you're, make or, you're, you're making or breaking it based on your relational aspects. And can you build rapport with people, especially in a one-on-one -on -one setting or group setting? And so I was kind of able to, to polish that up for, in a sense and, and really learn how to communicate with people and, you know, sell yourself in a sense and, and get alongside people and find out what are their needs and then how can I bring value to that person. So I think just all of that within the personal training realm has helped me uh, with strength and conditioning, with, with working with professional athletes or college athletes or, um, you know, Chinese athletes that didn't even speak English, like learning how to communicate with people through, through body language and, and energy and facial expressions and, and just all those things. So I think there's a lot to say for the aspects of personal training and especially with, with, you know, the, the learning and the, and the certifications and the, and the education that comes with it. I do pride myself very much on education now. And if you would have told 18 year old Andrea who really struggled in school and, and beyond, like that, that's something that I will always say, I, I take great pride in. I never thought I would have the, the credentials that I have now. And so I think that the more you can grab it and not to chase, chase letters and those things, but really to expand yourself and, and to stretch yourself, I would always encourage that. That's awesome. So um, share some of the books and resources that have helped you along the way that have maybe uh, framed your thinking and helped shape uh, the work you do with athletes. Yeah, sure. I, same thing. Like I, I hated reading back in the day. I could, education, like I said, was hard, but uh, I think now I've gotten older. Your reading is a big passion of mine. And uh, I come from a dad that has the quote that says readers are leaders and uh, we push reading quite a bit. So um, there has been some pivotal books in my life, um, one being called In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day, a uh, strange title, but uh, it's a biblical reference, and it talks about, um, long story short, it just talks about a, a guy that chases down a lion and kills a lion in a pit on a snowy day, and that sets him up for success later in life, and he becomes um, the armor bearer for King David and becomes the right-hand man in the army, and so you kind of think that like the things that he did that maybe seemed risky at the time and maybe for his own life um, set him up for a huge success later. And so it's like, what are those lines that you're chasing after? And what are those things that seem risky and seem 
uncomfortable and unknown and and what are the things you're going to chase after that really will set you up for success later in life and wouldn't just be uh you know a tough time for the sake of it being a tough time but really what can you turn into um, from those moments and so i think i think that life for me personally has all been that that nothing has been traditional it's been a little bit confusing a little unknown and um, I can tell you the highlight points like I did in the beginning, and they all sound easy, but uh, there's been a lot of challenge along the way, and there's been a lot of loss and gains, and, and um, it's taken a lot of courage to take those steps and those leaps, and um, you know, I've, I've lived on an air mattress for two years, and finally got a bed, and like, you just take those risks and those sacrifices, and it, and it can be packaged as like, it looks easy, and it looks like you're just taking one step forward every single time, but there's been about 100 steps back, so that book is a good reminder of the things that you do and, and you can be patient with the things that are in front of you. You're going to be really successful um, if you pursue them. And if you take that leap and that courage. And uh, one thing I really learned from a great mentor is, is Tina is like, she never handed anything to me, but she did open up doors and it was my opportunity to, to walk through them. Um, and so I think that that's how we, I want to keep paying it forward and setting that up for people is that you have to do the work, but I can, I can help you and you can get alongside people, but there has to be that willingness and that courage and take that step forward. Um, and to find that success and to find those opportunities. And it takes a lot of work. It takes a huge support system. It takes network. It takes uh, your confidence in yourself. Um, so I think that I look, I look back on that. I can list off a hundred different books and resources that I learned, but that's sure. always the one I, I stick to uh, that has really paved a big spot in my life. Yeah. I always appreciate, you know, you're one of the people that when a young coach reaches out to me and looking for advice into the field, you're one of the people that I, that I point them to just, um, your path into the field, um, still being relatively young in the field and, and getting, getting experience and working across multiple levels, you, you give them a lot of great perspective. So I always really appreciate that. Um, I want to share a kind of a, a funny story with you, but it'll relate to maybe the experience you've had. You know, when I, I went to a small division three college and um, I also was an exercise science minor. And so a lot of the coursework in there related to coaching and, you know, and, and you recognize a lot of times the bias of the situation you're in, but, you know, I had a, a, a coach or a, a instructor in one of the courses say, you know, um, professional sports is all about winning and college sports is all about development. So years later, um, you know, I'm, it's probably my first week working with the Milwaukee Brewers uh, minor league system and I'm in professional baseball and I'm kind of just getting my feet wet. I'm learning, you know, where I need to be and what's going on. And I'm talking to, you know, a hitting coach about the same thing. He's like, Hey, you know, college is all about winning now and professional sports is all about development. <laughs> and, and it totally like flipped my whole perspective, like right in that moment. Yeah. And I think working my way up from the minor leagues all the way to the major league level, I've kind of seen both sides of that coin. Um, mm. Speak to that a little bit. You know, what do you see at the major league level? Maybe what's something unexpected at the major league level, working with that caliber of athlete that, mm -hmm. that you really just didn't anticipate getting into this situation and um, just speak to the development and emphasis on winning throughout the professional level and across the spectrum of strength and conditioning. Yeah, I love that story. It really, really sums up kind of where we are. <laughs> Things, it really can pivot on a dime uh, and it can change your perspective just different that, but um, yeah, I think, you know, prior to this, I didn't really have a ton of baseball experience. I worked with softball quite a bit um, and in the college setting. So I didn't really know what to expect kind of coming in. And that was a little bit of a, like a fear of mine. Uh, and I'm really thankful for, for Ian, who just said, like, can you be a rock star coach? Like, can you really coach up a weight room and, 
and command that weight room. That's all I need. And I can teach you the rest along the way. Because there were things I learned that I never knew. I, I didn't know what a DFA meant. And all of a sudden, the guy was gone and it hurt my feelings. And I was like, where'd he go? And, you know, you never see him again. You build these relationships. So there's so much to the, the the aspect of baseball that I was learning and didn't know yet. But I think with thinking about, and I mentioned it earlier, is that these guys are a different caliber and they've gotten here without me. Uh, and so it's trying to figure out how do you get alongside of them and what can you help them with or, or what can you alter or change or, or give them extra support in certain things and how do you win them over uh and I think you know too baseball is such a unique sport that it's, it's really based on a, a trait and characteristic thing and, and not necessarily athleticism um and so I think some, sometimes as strength coaches we try to push this athleticism component to that uh when the reality is like you know they might just have an index finger that's longer and so they get better spin on the ball and now they're accelerated in their, in their career and they keep moving forward and, and so I think it's that was a big part for me because I just want to get everyone to be a certain level or certain caliber of, a, of an athlete the reality is like what does that individual need and so what I've really been enjoyed about baseball at least within our organization is how individualized everything really becomes uh, and coming from a college background you know you'll have an hour and you have you know 20 to 30 athletes and you got to get them all in and you realize how even though you try to make it as individual as possible you realize it actually is an overarching program with maybe some correctives in there for an individual that's a little bit different, but it really is just, this is a hockey program or this is a softball program and it's not really catered to that individual. Uh, and so that's something I really I see growing and changing within baseball and, and seeing the need for um, sound assessments and, and figuring out where they are. Uh, and then how can you, you know, what, what are those those variables that we need and that we see that crossover with performance? And I think that's a big area that we need to keep doing and, and figuring out how we can keep providing value, not just to, the weight room but beyond um and how can we get alongside our pitching coaches and hitting coaches and what do they see and, and you know they're, they're expert experts in movement just as much and they can see things and then try to get things out of their players as well so um i think the other thing too is knowing that at this level uh weight room is a little bit optional uh and they don't have to uh and they're professional and they literally are making millions of dollars and, and they are successful and they should be celebrated for that so the same thing like what's that buy-in level and how do you get them to come in and want those um, you know, there's been a great success story. I'll leave his name out, but he, he introduced himself to, to me and Ian, like one of his first days and he found out we're strength coaches. He's like, okay, I'll never see you again because he was never really raised in a, in a weight room program or never really saw value of it. Uh, and we didn't see him all year. And we, you know, you, you extend the olive branch and you see him out in the field and you had a good relationship with him, but he never set foot in that weight room. Uh, and then a year after working in the same organization with him, there's just one day he came around and he came into the weight room and asked for help. And just realized he's not getting any younger and wanted that help. And so it's just, those are great stories to think just because you couldn't reach him right away, like just wait. And eventually maybe they'll come in and see your value. Or maybe he heard somebody talking about something and, and realized he wanted help with that. Uh, and so I think there's a lot of growth that can happen, uh, but that buy-in has to be so important to those guys. And you think about you have players that come in that are drafted out of high school or they're coming in after their junior year and they had, they had a stud of a, a strength program back in their college and you can see that. Or you have Dominican guys who were never raised uh, in that type of environment. So there's just such a broad spectrum of abilities and, and levels and um, within the weight room. So I think that's a big part of trying to learn and, and grasp and, and try to get alongside of these guys. Yeah, that that's a great uh, description of of what that landscape looks like. I know, you know, I've had players say, you know, you know, the weight room just doesn't really work for me or I, mm -hmm. it's just not really help. It, you know, it hurts me more than it helps me. Um, you know, and, and obviously there are players that have never, um, never really put time into the weight room and maybe they're just so talented that they've been able to excel across the board. Um, but there's also players that may say that, that 
had great foundation, you know, when they were in high school or college. And so um, maybe they, maybe that's what their, their company line, but they're, they truly don't believe that at their core. So everybody has a little bit of a, a drive to better themselves. And they know that strength and conditioning is an available resource to them within the professional sport environment. And, and it's just making it welcoming. And I think one of the real challenges we have is that, you know, when that player who really hasn't uh, come into the weight room a lot shows up, it's really important. We listen to what they're asking for. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think it's easy to get really excited okay i i got them they're here yeah. now and we're gonna yeah. you know and, and we're just gonna throw them in with the mix that's a really sensitive time that's a really right. important kind of gateway time when when a player shows up um and you've mentioned it a few times you know the value of relationships and communication i feel like that period that sensitive period is where um, it can sort of make or break the long-term relationship that you have with that player. Talk about sort of the non-weight room skills that are essential for strength coaches and just the importance of communication and relationships for strength and conditioning coaches in a, in a high level role. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that is the meat and potatoes. I hope it is of what we do. And I think sometimes we really, we really enjoy to be nerdy and look at all the, the data and, and the science of things. But I really do believe that with the meat and potatoes is the relationship aspect of things. And the, the science is awesome and great and we love it. And we can talk about it, but I think if you can't apply it and you don't know get them how to get them to buy into it, then it really is kind of useless. So I know for me, when I first started with the twins, I, you know, I'm from St. Louis, you were always a Cardinal fan, but I didn't really know many other baseball teams, especially players. And, and that wasn't really around other things. It just wasn't a, a super big passion of mine at the time, but so I was really nervous to, to learn the roster and learn these players. And, and obviously Minnesota is big on their, on their sports. And so they know them all and they're very comfortable, but I wasn't. And so I remember being very nervous and apprehensive of not even knowing, you know, much about that player. Uh, but I learned really quickly that the last thing those guys want to talk about is baseball. And so I felt like it was an even playing field at that moment. We could talk about their dogs or their kids or their March Madness bracket or, you know, any of those things. And they really would connect with you. Uh, Cause the last thing they, they do baseball their entire life. The last thing they want to do is, is talk about it or, or acknowledge it. Uh, and so it was really easy to connect with them and realize that at the end of the day, though they're extremely talented, what they do, they're still a bunch of boys and they play jokes and they're, and they're kind of silly and goofy and, and, um, and they're a bunch of brothers to me. And so I think if you could really realize that they're more human than we actually give credit to. And so that relationship access was pretty easy once it got started. Um, and I was, I'm very thankful for this organization and those players because they welcomed me, you know, open arms and, and never uh, flinched the fact that I was a female in that weight room. They, they never gave me a hard time. They really just said they saw me as hopefully helping them and they got alongside of me just as much as I did to them. And so I just think that relationship really, it, it really should be um, what sets us apart uh, from other. And I think we, we get that skill. At, hopefully when you're around people, you start learning how you have to interact with them and, and get buy-in from them and what makes them tick. And, and can you read them when they walk in the room? Is it the bad day or it's a good day or they're excited or, or nervous or um, you kind of have to read that and then can you get alongside and help them and um, you have different relationships with different guys and you know Ian and I kind of joke because we you know he he is a little bit different coach than I am which is a great thing and you know it's a dad mom kind of thing where he can be really tough on them and and sometimes you have to put their arm around them and and they'll come to me maybe more if they don't like that uh, and so we kind of have this good relationship where you can have, have some fun at the same time but I do I do believe that the value of the relationship is the most important thing. Um, and then if you can start with that at that foundation and 
uh, you really can get a lot more out of them and you can keep growing your program. The things that we love that strength coaches we're trying to push and, and move forward. I think until you have, have that relationship. And so you can understand those players and the, and the needs of them. I'm not sure how far you go until then. That's great. You know, you, you've mentioned Ian a few times and, you know, one thing, uh, Ian, Ian's a great coach, you know, he presented at the, uh, PBS CCS winter meetings last year, uh, in, in San Diego. And it was a, it was just a great session on, you know, his perspective being a former player and now a strength and conditioning coach utilizing more technology and basically bridging the gap between traditional strength and conditioning thought and more of the applied, you know, baseball coaching perspective that we, that we mm -hmm. essentially need to learn. Um, you know, you don't have, you know, a professional baseball background. Um, so I think, you know, we get our credibility in a lot of different ways. Speak to the ways that, you know, if you don't have a background in a particular sport um, or, yeah, I know in my case, I didn't play baseball at a high level, so I couldn't really speak to, you know, I couldn't connect on that level with, with my athletes over the years. Speak to, you know, how a coach who hasn't played uh, that sport or at that level of a sport connects and gains credibility with, uh, elite athletes. Yeah. I'm really fortunate to be around Ian who has that experience and I can lean on and ask questions and, and hear his perspectives and he can relate to them a little bit differently. And, um, so that having someone like that is really helpful. So I, if you can find somebody that would have that experience that you can lean on, I think it's really, really important. Um, but I think it's at the root of it, it's, it's finding out how can you provide value to that organization? Like, what are the things that you see? And you can go in and like, as strength coaches, we love poking holes. And so we can see stuff, even if it's on a business side or an operations side, like, can you see some uh, miscommunications or some silos? Or can you find things within that organization? And then how can you implement yourself in the most humble way to say that you could bring that value? And so I think that an attribute or characteristic of humility is really important um, and not coming in thinking that you know everything. Uh, but I think without the experience of playing and being on that field, it's ways you know, I'm an assistant. Uh, and so I, you wear multiple hats. And so whether I'm helping the kitchen crew and, and wiping tables down, or um, you're working out the GM, like writing him a program, like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You, you really want to assist everybody and help every single person that you can. Uh, and so I think if that can be a quality of humility and knowing that you don't know everything, you didn't have that experience, but I'm going to find the value that can provide. And I think it looks different to everybody, uh, but try to implement yourself in different ways that you can. Um, you know, I'm fortunate to be, or we have the twins started a, a DNI council with diversity inclusion council, and I get an opportunity to be a co-chair with them. And so this is stretching me beyond anything because I'm very comfortable in the weight room and I'm comfortable in this field, but to be outside now more in the business side of the organization and, and seeing the need for more diversity within our organization and how can we be more inclusive of that diversity and, and, and bring it along board, uh, that has stretched me and my, <laughs> myself more than I can even imagine, uh, and so just finding ways that you can bring value and be a part of an organization, I think is the most important thing you can do. Um, and, and serving like that, at the end of the day, that's what I hope all of us as strength coaches, that's the root of what we're doing is, is service and serving our athletes and our coaches and, and figuring out how you can bridge those gaps and really be a part of everything. And I don't want to just be secluded to the weight room. I want to be a part of everything that they will allow me to be a part of whether it's on the field or in the cage or in meetings or anywhere they'll, they'll have me because I want to be a part to support first of all, uh, and serve. And, and then after that, maybe an opportunity to share my insight or, or thoughts. Uh, and so I think the twins are really special in the fact that that's, that's kind of the environment we create is there's a lot of opportunity to speak up and share and give your opinion and your thoughts. And it's really cohesive in that environment. And so I think that's 
that's how you can keep providing that value and finding ways that you can serve and support. Uh, and, and there's areas that I'm not great at and there's areas that other people are that I can learn from and, and, and kind of rely on those people too. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's a great perspective. And, you know, one thing I really enjoy about doing the podcast and connecting with coaches in this way is that you, um, you hear a lot of great quotes and, and, and things that really help me personally. And one thing that I, that I heard earlier in this year, earlier this year with uh, Richard Howell is the path to advancement is be great at the role you have right now. If you want to advance, be great at the role you have right now. Focus on that. And the way you answered that, it really speaks to our resourcefulness. We may not have all the answers, but we have the tools and the ability to go find those answers to help you. And you know what? You're out there on the field, you're playing, you're practicing, you're managing, you know, all the areas of the performance side of what you do. And I'm in your corner working on, you know, working to um, if we need to, if we're trying to solve a problem or we're trying to, uh, you know, find an answer for something, you know, that's, that's the role that we have. And so it's really empowering when, when we can, um, dig into our archives and arsenal and, and, and find a, and help to find a solution. Sometimes it's just that process. Um, right. and it also speaks to just being a good employee, you know, every strength and conditioning coach role is not the same you know, the expectations aren't the same, you know, um, you talked about wiping tables down in the kitchen at, even at the major league level, you know, that's something that you, most people wouldn't associate with the highest level of sport, you know, and I, I think back to taking grocery store runs in the minor leagues and all these things that have helped to advance the field, right? Nutrition's in a lot better place than it ever was, but it didn't come without the sacrifice of, uh, the nutritionists, the strength coaches, and everybody that have have really done these above and beyond things, you know, these um, other duties as assigned, you know, is, is a term that comes up every now and again. So um, yeah, I really, I really liked how you, um, how you answered that. Um, we had Dan John on the uh, podcast, not the, uh, not the, the lesser known Dan John, but very <laughs> impactful in the, in the world of uh, diversity and inclusion. And he is on our uh, diversity and inclusion committees, education task force with us. And, you know, he speaks a lot to uh, cultural awareness, um, had a session at coaches conference on cultural awareness, and it's been a very powerful message to hear that. Um, from your perspective, speak to uh, diversity and inclusion in uh, professional baseball. I know your role and you spoke to being a female coach um, in major, at the major league level. Um, you know, that's, that's relatively new. Um, how has that experience been? And um, just speak to that experience. Yeah, what's really interesting about, and I'm learning, and I'm, it's always growing. So I'm, I'm not an expert at any of these things, but I'm, I'm learning as much as I can. And um, you know, within baseball, within that clubhouse, there is an extreme level of diversity because every single one of those players we have, I mean, for us, we have a German, we have Dominican, Puerto Rican, Venezuelan, uh, and then it just, it's a variety of people with different backgrounds. And so in that clubhouse, it feels very comfortable to be yourself because everyone is so different. Uh, and so I think sometimes you forget how great that is. And then you kind of step out and you kind of step into a little bit of the, the real world or for, you know, for us, the business side of, of the Twins baseball and, and seeing that maybe that diversity doesn't exist as strongly as it does within the, that clubhouse. And so 
that's something that I've you know been passionate about for is moving that needle forward for us um, and figuring out ways that we can we can do those things like as strength coaches like it's kind of in our DNA to want to be inclusive like we understand the value of getting people on board that we want people to feel like they can be themselves and we want people to feel comfortable we want people to be stretched and challenged and and, and pushed outside their comfort a little bit but we we seek that like I think that's part of us as a good strength coach as a good coach is just wanting to get people on board and put your arm around them uh, and so when I took this this role it was a little bit obviously very nervous because I didn't have I have no experience in this but I have experience in the sense that I'm a female that and I and I know that if we want to keep pushing baseball forward for women there has to be some things that change uh, and it's one thing just to hire and put them in place but another thing to put a system and protocols in place to support that person and that's what I really am passionate about it and for women and for anybody any diverse background is saying I want you if you have a great skill set and you're a great fit for this organization we got to get you on board and then what are the things that you need that we can do to support you and keep you and retain you and that you would feel like you can be yourself and bring more value. Uh, and so for, for me, like I'm super excited to say that like, we started building a, a female locker room within the, the twins that's, that's close by to, to the weight room. And, and that's a huge step forward. And so that's, that's going to help more females down the road if we can keep bringing them in. Um, it's having those facilities for them. And so it's figuring out areas that we can really push forward to, to bring more inclusiveness and more diversity and more people on board to help us. Um, but I think it, it's, it is unique when we have the divide of saying like the clubhouse really is that way. Um, and like I said, those guys have been fantastic. I, I literally am around men all day and uh, I really appreciate them. And I, I'm in a staff in an office of athletic trainers and PTs and uh, medical doctors that are all, all men. And they have been nothing but supportive. They never made me feel like I, I didn't have a seat at that table. Uh, and I feel like I provide a, a unique perspective sometimes for them, um, but they have been fantastic in their own journey as well of understanding uh, of how to be more inclusive and how to to carry themselves in a certain way and how to be kind of in a sense an ambassador for women uh and they've been so open-minded and easy to talk to about things and, and have been extremely humble and asking questions or, um, but that expectation is just you, you know you put your head down you'd be really good at what you do uh, and that's something I, I really want to pride myself on is I want to be great at my craft and my skill uh, more than anything uh, and it happens that I'm a female at the same time. It's great that we can, you can bring acknowledgement to that and, and hopefully help and push that forward. But at the end of the day, like my, my job is just to be the best strength coach and the best uh, an employee. Like you said, I love that being the best employee there is there and the great opportunities are going to come from that. Uh, and so I think it's still a progress. I know everyone is going their own journey and their own pace and speed, but I just have to applaud the twins at, at the place that they are because they really are open-minded to saying, what, what do you need? How can we sustain you? And how can we help make sure there's protocols in place that, that you feel comfortable or that you feel included and involved in. Um, and I just think like, I, you can always look to be offended by something and you can spend your whole life looking to be offended by the way people talk and say certain things. But I, I just encourage other women and people in general, just not to be that way. Don't seek out that offense uh, and really just take it for what it is and, and not let it affect you. Cause yeah, at the end of the day, we're, we're still uh, in a male majority sport. Uh, and that's kind of something else I always share is that uh, I, I don't work in a male dominant because dominant usually means, you know, uh, overarching, commanding, superior, uh, but it really is just a male majority because there's just more of them than me. And so if you have that healthy perspective, I'm not looking to be offended. I'm not looking to be overpowered. I'm, I'm really going to bring as much value as I can. Uh, and that's all I want to do. And I, I really care about those players. I care about that staff. I want to win. I love being competitive. I want to be successful uh, and I want to keep pushing it forward. So if that means, um, taking the burden and, and carrying that and moving it on. I want to do that because I want to be successful myself personally, but more importantly as an organization.
That's awesome. And I, I really liked how you said that the clubhouse environment really encourages people to be themselves. Um, and I think that is, um, that, that promotes, you know, inclusivity, you know, that promotes, um, you know, just the broad number of voices and perspectives. And one thing that we've seen in the game is that uh, it's not just, you know, racial or um, cultural diversity that we're talking about today. There's been sort of this expansion of professional diversity and more emphasis on collaboration uh, with different types of professionals. Um, when I got into the game, you know, the the minor league strength coach was kind of considered the one man band of the, you know, you had to do everything. You did the nutrition. You were putting the PB and J out on the the table after batting practice. I mean, it was, it was, um, you know, very early on. But at the same time, you know. Now RDs have been added to strength and conditioning staffs. We work more closely with physical therapists. Um, both athletic training and strength and conditioning departments have expanded in areas of rehab, where there's rehab strength and conditioning coordinators. Um, you know, speak to the collaborative nature of working as a strength and conditioning coach um, as part of a call it a sports science team or a high performance team that's all working for the same, you know, performance and health related goals. I think that's where we're all trying to head, right? And we're all trying to get to this, that, that model that it would look like this high performance thing. And I think it's really easy to talk about and it's totally a different thing to do it and walk it out every day. Um, and I think that, that at the end of it, it takes that hard word, which is humility and, and really seeing that at the end of the day, we all really want the same thing and that's to be successful. And for the sake of that, that athlete or player, uh, and we want to win. Like those are the really the, the pillars of things. And so break that down even more. And how do you do that? And so what are the X's and O's of how do we, um, the second a guy gets injured, what's the protocol? What are we doing? And who's in charge of what point? And then as he progresses, at what point does, do we move him into more of a, uh, like a PT role takes the lead on those things. And then now is it strength and conditioning and then nutrition has evolved. Like how do we find everyone's strength and implement it within that process? I think that's always the challenging part because there is no black and white. It's a constant, a gray line and everyone's specialty kind of jumps in and back and forth. Um, but I think that's what we all are chasing after. Um, and I think that I've learned more than anything, especially being in this environment is that there's a difference between understanding and agreeing and that we are always required to understand each other and see why, why you thought that and where you're coming from. Uh, but it's okay that we don't always agree. And once you've kind of laid it out, Eric, for me, tell me like, this is why I wanted these exercises. And this is why I thought he was for there. Okay. Yeah. I can see that now. I get it. But I wouldn't agree with you still. I still think this might be a better option, but I took time to understand and hear where you're coming from. And I think if that is the root of our collaborative approach, and we really take time to understand and, and appreciate the value that each person has, whether it's through education or experience or any of those things, I think once that is the, the root of it, then we can kind of keep moving forward together. And so I think we get our feelings hurt again when people don't agree and we really work hard because you want, I want you to see what I see and I want you to believe in me and, and, and agree with what I'm saying, uh, but it's okay if we don't uh, and it's okay if we can understand it, but we all have the end result goal that says we want the best for that player um, and we want to be successful as, as an organization. Um, so I hope that answers your question. Just yeah, collaborate. No, that's, that's great. And I like how you keep coming to uh, humility as such an important skill for strength coaches. And, you know, I, I, it brought me to, you know, early in my career, I, I carried the perspective um, that, you know, my role 
you know, strength coach roles were relatively new. They were, they weren't full-time, they were part-time, they were added to the staff mm -hmm. largely because the sports medicine team, the athletic trainer was dealing with team travel and they were, they were spread thin. You know, they couldn't be out there at stretch every day. They right. couldn't be taking players to the weight room in the morning. Um, there was a need for another position and that's when strength and conditioning entered the game. And so I always looked at my role as, you know, I have a unique skill set as a strength coach, but honestly, I'm here because there was a void to fill and that related very closely to the sports medicine team and what, what their goals were. And so I, I was instantly connected to that collaborative approach. And I think that kind of kept me in the, um, kept me in the mind frame that, that I needed to, to be able to play both sides of the line of really pushing players towards performance, but also keep that, um, health and keep players on the field mentality that comes from the medical side. So, um, yeah. I really love the humility references that you mentioned. Um, I want to give our listeners an opportunity to reach out to you. What's the best way to get in contact? Uh, probably email would probably be a little bit better. Social media is out there. I'm not, to be honest with you, I try to keep up with it. I'm not the best at it. So uh, probably my email, which is my name, uh, Andrea Hayden at twinsbaseball.com. Awesome. So if you have questions for Andrea, she is a great resource. Um, she gave you her email there. Just reach out and uh, she'll get those questions answered for you. This is Andrea Hayden, the assistant strength and conditioning coach of the Minnesota Twins. Andrea, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Thanks, Eric. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in. And we'd also like to thank Sorenex Exercise Equipment. We appreciate their support. And to all of you listening, we appreciate your support. Again, if you like the podcast, make sure you subscribe wherever you download your podcast from. Write us a review and keep listening in. Thank you, and I look forward to talking with you all soon. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.